I grew up being a big fan of uh, late night television talk show hosts. I'm, I'm just barely old enough to remember Johnny Carson. And some of you will remember who that was. Um, but I, I loved, one of my favorites was David Letterman. I think he was just brilliant as a talk show host. And he's well-known and well-documented to struggle with a lot of deep insecurities. And uh, when he first began hosting his own show on NBC in the early 80s, early to mid-80s, uh, he, he constantly felt like he didn't belong, that he wasn't supposed to be there. And one night he had as a guest Robin Williams, the very famous comedian and comedic actor. And they're sitting there and they're headed into the commercial break and Letterman's feeling like he's just failing constantly. And here is this great star. He could never be as great as Robin Williams at what he does. As they go to commercial break, David leans over and says, hey, that was a good segment. And Robin Williams looks back at him and says, I just hope they don't catch on. He was feeling just as insecure, despite his brilliance, as the host was. This is what psychologists refer to as the imposter syndrome. The feeling that at some point, everybody's going to figure out that you're not as good as you, they think you are. That they're going to all realize you don't belong because you don't feel like you belong. All the accolades you get, the praise, the success, it's not legitimate. We all struggle with imposter syndrome sometimes. We even struggle with it when it comes to our relationship with God. And we'll get to that because this morning we're going to begin a series that's going to go for the next several weeks about the search that each human being is engaged in for significance in our life. Do you know we were built, created with a desire and a need for significance? To know who we are and why we are? God made us that way. In the garden, it was very clear why we were made and what we were made for and who we are. Until the time came when man was cast out of that paradise, when their rebellion brought about a separation from God. And since that moment, humanity has been searching and trying to find ways to give our life purpose. And all of us suffer from this. All of us struggle with this, whether it's imposter syndrome or whether it's some other uh, attitude toward our own self-esteem or our self-worth or our self-confidence. All these terms describe the same thing. It's how we see ourselves. And all of us mask it in different ways. And we don't like to talk about it. The successful businessman who is driven to build companies and products to achieve, to have his name on buildings, to have his name known, in certain circles, but who is losing his marriage and a relationship with his children and feels empty inside. Or the, the housewife who tries to get everything just perfect for her family because she had a disapproving mother who never seems to quite feel like she's enough. All of us, in some way in our life, because of the scars we have, are seeking the approval and the significance in this world and trying to fill the gaps in our heart. And sometimes it's necessary to turn on the light. We don't like to turn on the light. 
We don't like to look at the, the situation as it really is, objectively. We don't like to look at what it is we're missing and what we're trying to fill it with. We don't want to admit that the preacher who prepares all week to stand in front of a congregation and deliver a message about the love of God feels completely unloved and alone and separated from God, withdrawn around his family and struggling to put into practice in his own life the things that he teaches every week. We don't want to talk about this because sometimes we think it's normal. Everybody goes through this, right? Everybody struggles. Everybody suffers. We call it normal. Or, in our case, we tell ourselves that good Christians don't feel that way. Good Christians don't think like that. Good Christians don't have these questions and these doubts. And so we develop defense mechanisms. We develop ways of coping. We learn to suppress our emotions. We learn to push down the things we're feeling and to push through life. We learn to turn off the part of our brain that recognizes the suffering we're going through internally. We become compulsive perfectionists. That if we can just get every little thing right, all will be well. It's not how it works, but that's what we tell ourselves. Or, probably most often, we attack others. We attack and destroy others who bring to mind our own shortcomings or who feel like threats to, to our acceptance of who we are and who we want to be. And we punish ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We tell ourselves we're not good enough. We never will be good enough. We're going to fail because we've always failed. And we punish ourselves. Imagine what God thinks when he sees you doing that. What does God think when he sees you beating up on yourself? I, you know, I like to sometimes think of God as a father, which he is. But I think about it in the context of my own fatherhood or even the fatherhood I've experienced from my dad or my grandfather, or men that I was close with. And I think about lessons I learned. And I can remember feeling like a failure. I can remember feeling, whatever it was, whether it was sports, which that was common, or whether it was academically, or, 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 or in any facet of life, feeling like a failure and beating myself up and saying something like to my dad, I'm just a loser. I just can't do anything right. I'm stupid. I'm not talented. Whatever it was. And I can remember one time he looked at me and he said, you're my son and I love you. So you will never be a loser. That struck me deeply. And I think God looks at us the same way. I gave my son for you. You will never be a failure. You will never not be good enough. Because the price that was paid was too high. But we punish ourselves. We do in spite of what God tells us. We refuse to be honest about what we are experiencing in life we refuse to really turn on the light and take an objective assessment of what we're suffering from maybe we're afraid of what we're going to see or maybe we're afraid that we won't find a way to fix it what does it matter if you figure out what's wrong with you if there's nothing that can be done for it have you ever known someone that doesn't want to go to the doctor because they might find out that they're sick these people exist i used to sell insurance 
I had a man tell me one time, I don't want to buy insurance because then I might die. Yeah, you might. You might. We don't want to look at the truth. We don't want to look at the reality because we're afraid we won't have any answer. We won't know what to do to fix it. And we think that God just doesn't want to hear our problems sometimes. Have you ever thought that to yourself? You ever thought, I don't want to bother God with what I'm going through because this is a me problem. It's not a God problem. I'm the, I'm the problem here, and I don't want to trouble the creator of the universe with it. If you've ever felt that way, you should probably read through Psalms. You should read about what David was saying to God. In Psalm 51, verse 6, David says to God, you desire faith in the inner parts. He wants our heart. God doesn't just want what's on the outside. He doesn't just want the actions. He doesn't just want what you present to the world. He wants your heart. That's the essence of the gospel, in fact. And David recognizes that as he talks to God. Look at the other ways David talks to God. He wrote and spoke honestly about the full range of responses to his situations. He expressed anger with the Lord because he felt abandoned. In Psalm 42, verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? At times, David was angry with other people, and he expressed that anger to the Lord in terms that reveal the depth of his inner feelings. Look at Psalm 58, verses 6 through 9. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. I always love that one, by the way. That's, a, that's just a very poetic way of saying you want someone punished. Break the teeth in their mouth. I'm from Arkansas, so we would say break the tooth. But break the teeth in their mouth is what David says. Tear out, O Lord, the fangs of the lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows be blunted. Like a slug melting away as it moves along, let us, uh, like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. That is harsh. Straight from the heart of David. He wrote about his despair in difficult situations, Psalm 55, verses 4 through 5. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. He communicated his despair to the Lord. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground, Psalm 44, 24 and 25. Sometimes David was confused. In Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? But sometimes David communicated his love for the Lord. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? At times, David trusted the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27, verse 1. Other times, he was filled with praise for God. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Psalm 145, verse 1. These are passages that demonstrate that God, who called David a man after his own heart, wants us to open our hearts to him, wants us to let him in 
and be honest with him about our emotions, even the unpleasant ones, even the ugly ones, even the places where we feel like we are failing. We have very many, we have, we have a great number of misconceptions about our life, lies we tell ourselves, lies the devil tells us. We think God doesn't really care about me. I am unlovable. I'm a worthless person. Nobody will ever love me. I'll never be able to change. Mark these down if you've thought these before, because I'll bet this list uh, could be pretty extensive. I've been a failure all my life. I guess I'll always be a failure. And back to the imposter syndrome, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way and been unable to let the light of love and honesty shine on that hopelessness? Have you ever been able to carry that to God because you didn't want to wrestle with him? You know, God wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't mind if you wrestle with him because at least you're still in contact. When we pull away from God and hide the things we feel and cover up the insecurities and the pain we suffer because of our need for significance and our search for this purpose and meaning, we separate ourselves from God. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you glad that you are you? Now think about it. When you wake up in the morning, are you glad you're you? Or do you wish you were someone else or something else? Do you look at your life and compare it to others? Do you think if I could just get that one more thing or achieve that one more step in life, or be like that other person, then I'd be happy. Then I could start loving others the way I'm supposed to. Then I could start telling others about Jesus like I'm supposed to. Then I could start living right like God calls me to. This is harder now than it's ever been, by the way. We're so connected. Um, and it's been trending this way for a long time. You know, when I was growing up, that's when reality TV became a thing. Reality TV. Uh, it's unscripted TV, but it's highly produced and edited, and there's nothing real about it. It's just cheaper to make. And in a recession, uh, TV companies make a lot of it, like in the early 2000s. But we look at it and we think it's real. And we say we need to be like those people, or we don't need to be like those people, or whatever. We have dozens of different social media applications that we can view a window into the lives of others, our peers, our friends, our loved ones, our family, people halfway across the world, and we convince ourselves that that's reality when there's nothing real about it. People don't put the real them on those things. They put the best version of themselves. That's where all this imposter syndrome comes from. It's worse now than ever. Because we're putting the, the best picture in the best light from the best side on our profile. And we're showing pictures of all the fun things we're doing, but we're not showing pictures of the times we're crying in our bedroom because we're too depressed with how our life is going. We don't show the videos of the fights we have with our spouses and our friends. We show the videos of our kids happy and laughing. And we have collectively shouted out to the world, 
We're doing better than you are. And the rest of us look back at everyone else and say, yeah, they're doing better than I am. And if they knew who I was, they wouldn't like me because I'm not who people think I am. Because we've wrapped our identity up in the wrong thing. And we've turned off the light and we've closed the door and we've stopped looking at this natural part of our heart that needs to be filled, a, a hole that was left from the Garden of Eden. And we've tried to fill it centuries and centuries and centuries since with other things. Our problems are pretty specific. And this is, this, I'm, I might step on some toes here, but this is one of the things that bothers me. Uh, when, when we have problems and when we dare to express them to another person, maybe a, another Christian, we get phrases like this, well, you just have to trust God. Well, give it to God. Pray about it. Hey, that's all true. But our problems are specific and they require us to understand God's specific remedy for those problems. It's like at, at funerals and I've, I've officiated dozens of funerals. And the one thing I will never say to a grieving family is, well, they're in heaven now and they wouldn't want you to cry. Yeah, they may be in heaven now, but that family member isn't. And they want to cry, and they need to cry, so let them cry, because we're human. But I see people doing that. All, we want to shut our emotions off. We want to shut other people's emotions off. And we, we refuse to really be honest and look at what our problems are and where God's specific answers lie. And we offer nothing but words. The fact is, God made man for a very unique purpose, a very specific purpose. And man rebelled against that purpose in the garden. And ever since, we have been seeking significance in life. So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about that. We're going to start by talking about this natural and inherent need we have. The source of this search that we're on, this journey that we're on as a human race to find our purpose. We're going to start there. And we're going to ask the questions. And we're going to turn on the light. And we're going to identify the nature of this search, recognize the challenges and the inadequate answers. And we're going to challenge the inadequate answers. And we're going to apply God's solutions to our shortcomings and to our pain. Uh, let's look at Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 1 I want you to listen to these words. Make a little list if you want to. Listen to this and list all the things God's done for you. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in his beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches 
of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to pray to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Don't ask, why am I worthy of that? Don't think, I'm not worthy of that. God overpaid for us. He was willing to send his son. And he did all that, everything Paul writes there. If you list out the specific blessings in those 14 verses, or, or uh, 11 verses, you're going to find it's a pretty long list. He did all of that for you. He did all of that for me. And I hope that we keep that in mind as we journey searching for significance. That we can find the God answers to the man problems. And we can apply them to find solutions. We don't need to burden ourselves with the pain of feeling inadequate. We need to overcome this world by having an eternal perspective. And that's what we're going to do in these lessons. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling isolated, we all are. We all do. And only by the reassurance of our church community and our family of faith can we overcome these things. Everything we're going to talk about the next few weeks is going to require a component of community. We have to have that community with one another. And if we can help you in any way, take the next step in your faith to shed the, the shackles of insecurity and to know the fullness of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to do that for you as we stand and while we sing together.